I've had many personal struggles. I've gone through mental, physical, emotional abuse. I've also grew up with low self-esteem, not feeling my value, not understanding how worthy I was. And I was able to learn through the power of self-love to overcome those sinking feelings to be healthy, healed, and whole. I know how hard it can be to just find your place. Some of us are still struggling. We want to find our place in this world and we want to know our purpose. And sometimes that purpose may be being healthier. Sometimes that purpose may also be leaving that nine to five, leaving that toxic work environment. Sometimes that healing may look like just simply being healthy, happy, and loving yourself, being out of that low self-esteem. That's why I created Go Queen. I wanted to reach out to other women and show them that you may have been knocked down a few times, but you definitely will not be counted out. You can take that pain that you've experienced and you don't have to be ashamed. You can take that pain and you can build your purpose. Life is so short, we are not allotted the time that we arrogantly think that we have. We have to live in our dreams and purpose right now. So what's stopping you? Maybe you don't know how to manage your time properly. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I have this nine to five. I don't have the time to follow that dream and I'll just put it off on the back burner. But one thing I can tell you that is guaranteed, each and every one of us has a day and a time where we will no longer be on this earth. So you don't have the time to waste anymore. As a purpose coach and brand strategist, I'm committed to helping women of color rise above their challenges and create purposeful and passion-driven brands. You can reflect your unique story. Let me be your guide in this journey of healing and growth. You don't have to let your past hold you back from a bright future. You can turn your pain into power. You deserve to win. Dedicated to all my beautiful queens, all my beautiful ladies out there. She is a queen. Good queen. Thank you guys for joining another episode of The Key Chat. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Ms. Ingrid Wallace. Ingrid is an executive coach, a DEI consultant, and a keynote speaker, and so much more. So we're going to talk about her career and the great things that she does with executive coaching and learn a lot more about her. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Same here. I'm so happy to talk with you. So I wanted to go ahead and just get to your roots. So tell us how you began being an executive coach, what inspired you to start this. You have a very great, huge history and resume. So I definitely want to hear first, how did you get started? 
Well, I started in corporate America and, and do this on my own. I'd always been good at making people successful and helping them become successful. And at the time I was um, in a company, I was teaching anatomy and physiology and medical terminology in the company. And I was also teaching executive courses. That's how varied this trading department was. And um, I noticed that the course I was teaching would enable people to be promoted you know, to, you know, from a clerical level to a professional level. Um, but with the courses I was teaching, I did not get any people of color in my classes because they were during the day and a supervisor had to allow them to leave and go to class. And, and so I noticed this and I kept getting the same people mm. and they didn't look like me. Mm. So what I did was I decided I was going to run a class in the morning at 7 a.m., and in the evening at 5.30 p.m. after people got off work. And over the course of that nine years, I got 700 people promoted to professional level. Oh. And it was, and there was nothing they could do about it. <laughs> so, and that's when I had my first opportunity to understand that I had some power to change things. Mm. You know, and then I left corporate America and went out on my own and, and I started um, working for a training company to learn sales. And then I went out to do my own stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, uh, and I was able to do that very successfully. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. And I love how you mentioned that you didn't see people like yourself. So you went out there and did something in order to help people like yourself. So I, mm -hmm. that's very admirable. So I wanted to ask you with your executive coaching, what are some of the average clients that you work with? And after you left corporate and decided to step out on your own, because obviously, like you said, you're very, you know what you're doing in helping people become successful. So mm -hmm. with your executive coaching, who do you feel are like some of your average clients? My average clients are usually cor big, large corporations, many of whom you know, um, you know, like biggest, you know, fast food company in the world or the biggest entertainment company in the world. And, you know, clients like that, um, probably biggest communications company in the world. And I also have, you know, I have clients that are um, from the top five, con you know, um, consulting and accounting firms in the world and places like that. But I also have smaller clients. Um, by smaller, I mean, you know, maybe the, the largest pharmaceutical company in the world, you know, and, and but I have other clients too. But I have gradually been able to be entrusted by them with their executives, mm. you know, and, and executives are interesting because at the very top, it's lonely yeah. and they need someone who will tell them the truth. And that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> what would be some of the most common pain points for those clients? Like, what are some of the top things that you've helped them with? Um, some of the top things I help them with is how to communicate with all of their employees, not just one group of their employees. You know, I had one um, CEO ask me once um, about the Christmas party. He said, do you mind my asking why all the black people sit together at the table at the Christmas party? I said, well, let me ask you, do you ever ask? No, he said, people have asked me about it. I said, do they ask you why all the white people sit together at the table? I don't think so. I said, it's about affinity. You know, people sit where they're comfortable. And if in your organization you made them comfortable, they would be able to sit with anyone. Mm -hmm. 
but anyone needs to be trained to make them feel comfortable. Wow. That is something else. You know, I think, um, because I worked in corporate as well, and I know my experience with some CEOs, they're just, they are out of touch. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there's no other way to put it. And I think there's a huge disconnect sometimes from CEO to managerial to people under that level. It's just like Mm -hmm. some huge disconnect. So that's very interesting what you mentioned. And I've definitely worked at a company where it's very little minority. So I know that's a whole different, you know, Mm -hmm. set of pain points for sure. So I want to dive into with the masterclass that I read that you have. So Mm -hmm. please tell us about your masterclass. What does it offer? And what are some of the biggest accomplishments with that class? Well, that masterclass is coming up in August. Uh, We don't have a date for it yet, Um, but it's going to be on something we call the care principle. And it's how you engage people effectively to get them to know you better, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. Um, It is for executives to understand how to engage those people who work for them. Um, And it's it's consideration, awareness, respect, and engagement. Mm -hmm. That's what CARE stands for. And we say that you have to, CARE is a verb. Mm -hmm. And you have to exercise it in a way that is intentional and in a way that is, you know, that is ethical and in a way that produces positive results for everyone. And it is a system, you know, that I've used with many of the companies. And I learned it. I actually developed it after having worked with Walt Disney Corporation a number of years ago. And I observed what they did. You know, I observed the fact that everyone was included in everything. And all the decisions that were made in the entire organization, everyone had an opportunity to contribute to those decisions. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I developed a system that I piggybacked upon that. And that's called, you know, um, peer dynamics and the care principle is a part of that. Mm, wow. I want to ask you something else that I saw that you're a DEI consultant mm-hmm. and I'm on your website as well about the DEIQ. So can you tell us about exactly what DEIQ stands for? Well, you know, when we put this together, um, my partner and I, we decided that DEI was, you know, first it was all diversity. When I started, it was only diversity and nothing else, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden they just said it was diversity and inclusion as people got more, you know, into it. Now they decided it was diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it has evolved to this point, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But it's DEI. Um, and we decided that within that DEI is EI, that's emotional intelligence. And, and then we put the cue on it is what is your emotional intelligence quotient for diversity? You know, so we have a tool that we can go into organizations and we can talk to them and we can say, what is your DEIQ? You know, how good are you at, you know, at making sure that people of color have the same opportunities as other individuals in the organization through the way they are engaged, through the way they are trained, through the way they are supported? Most times, um, black people are not successful in organizations for long term. I mean, we have every now and then a CEO put here and put there, but they leave. And executives leave organizations because they don't have a support system. You know, so we go in and try to show organizations how to how to build a support system to maintain. 
the talent of color. Mm. Um, speaking of, I wanted to ask you, kind of diving off a little bit, but just over the past few years, especially since the pandemic, a lot of people of color are being more vocal about some of the challenges that they face in corporate America, and particularly women of color, you know, like we're like the the magical pet in a sense. Like they want to put us up there on the pedestal, but like don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about that because a lot of people, then people that I know personally, including myself, have dealt with that where as a woman of color, you're doing well, but then you turn from the pet to, you know, public enemy in a sense, because again, they don't want you to get too ahead of yourself. You know, it's just a real slippery slope with that. So I wanted to just get your thought process on that because some people who are still in corporate, obviously they're still dealing with that. Some women of color, just your thoughts on that. And if possible, how is it, is it possible for a woman of color who's still in corporate who are dealing with, you know, the pressure of being a woman of color in corporate America and the difficulties that it faces, is it possible to navigate successfully in that type of environment? It's possible. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's certainly possible. You know, I try to work from both ends of the spectrum. I try to make sure I can um, coach as many Black female executives as possible. But at the same time, I need to go to those organizations and say, you need to build a support system. This is what you need to do to help people be successful. Uh, what we do as Black women and corporations, you know, we find out that we have um, the talent and the power, you know, and and the know it, the know it all, the knowledge, and we get there and we're doing what we're supposed to do. But as we become more vocal, we go up against the corporate monster that I call it, and and so we have to figure out how to negotiate that, you know, to the extent that. Um, you know, we prove that it's okay not to be obedient. You can, we can contribute without being obedient. We can contribute without being controlled. And one of the first things I ask executives, they, you know, they tell me, well, we promoted so-and-so and they're so proud to tell me that. You know, we have a woman of color. One's coming into one of my clients today, as a matter of fact, at a very high level. And my question is, that's wonderful. Did you give her a budget? Unless you're letting us handle your money, you are not telling me anything that makes any sense. You're just blowing smoke. So let me handle some of your money and then I will believe you. Running a small business can be very hard. Entrepreneurs wear so many hats. Marketer, appointment setter, Content creator, consultant. If you're still running your small business on your own, you've just created another job for yourself. Hire help today. Scale your business, attain more clients, and generate more revenue. Let FlexPro Staffing Solutions build your business by hiring a virtual assistant at an affordable cost.
you know, speaking of, that's my next question as well. In addition to that, women, and this is beyond color, women in general in mm-hmm. corporate America are not paid equally. So then you throw in women of color too. <laughs> so that makes it even worse. Yes. Um, in addition, I have talked to people in the past that have talked about ways to successfully mm-hmm. negotiate your salary. Is it possible? Is Have you had any you know experience in that on how women, and especially women of color, can be paid fairly in corporate America? Um, number one, we can ask for it. You know, we have not been trained that, you know, we deserve it and we should ask for it and get it. Those are three things. Deserve it, ask for it, and then expect it and get it, right? So the problem is, and, and I have a client right now who's gone back to um, very high level corporate corporate job. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, ask for, ask for $200,000. She went and asked her for $160,000. I said, did you get the two? No. Why? Well, this is good. I said, no, it's not. It's not good. I mean, it, it's it's good if you feel that it, it gives you what you need, but it's not what you deserve. So I think that's one of the best illustrations of why we are not paid, you know, the same. I mean, it, as long as someone can get away with it, why not, right? As long as somebody can say, I'm going to pay you this, and we go, okay, it's fine. But we have not been trained to ask for what we deserve. That is something powerful. I think, too, on the flip side of that, I think sometimes they don't feel comfortable asking, quite frankly, maybe because yeah. they're conditioned. You yeah. know, I think that's part of work culture, sometimes, well, toxic work mm-hmm. culture. I, sh- I should say it's like the conditioning to not speak up, to yes, not yes. ask, to not think that you can even move on. You know, I think sometimes it's like- I agree. Yeah. I agree. You're very perceptive there. Um, it is conditioning. And and um, I teach a course um, called um, Managing with Responsibility. And it is amazing how people don't take responsibility for themselves. Okay. And it, it one of one of the things I learned, I went to um I was at a convention and one of the guys walked up to the table and he had General Motors, vice president. I'm like, oh that's pretty cool. This was a number of years ago. And I asked him, I said, uh, but he asked me, he said, why do I want this course? And I said, I think that you need this course if you can tell me where in General Motors you really are committed to black people being successful. And he looks at me, he said, that's an interesting question that you're posing. I said, yes, I want to know where in General Motors is to your advantage for black people to be successful. And he said, I have to think about that. So he left. I didn't think any more about it. A week later, I got a call from him. And he said, I got a place. And it was the Black Dealers Association, Black Car Dealers. Ford Chrysler and General Motors all have special training for Black dealers because they don't have parents in the business who pass those businesses down. So very successful Black men at the time, and now Black women, very successful Black men at the time 
were able to be successful in the environment where they were in corporate America or someplace else, and they had enough money to enter into this dealership game. So, but in order to do that, they had to go through a training for two years away from home, usually with some white dealership somewhere. They had to maintain their own home and the new home where they're training. And this was for two years. And Ford Chrysler and General Motors had those programs. And they all eventually invited me um, to be part of those programs. So they saw me in the beginning and um, for orientation. They saw me in the middle. These are management courses I'm teaching. But I'm teaching this um, um, managing with accountability and responsibility or leading with accountability and responsibility. And it's about how not to blame anyone. You know, your mama didn't do it. Your daddy didn't do it. Your community didn't do it. You have to figure out how you're going to make yourself successful in spite of or because of whatever you have done in the past. And so um, I ended up training 400 black dealers across the country over a period of about 10 years, many of whom were successful and many weren't because the system is not set up to make us successful. But many were, but, but too many of them were not. But it was, it's an opportunity, you know, it, it showed me that people could get together of color and be so powerful. I would have a room full of men and ultimately black women who together could run General Motors. You know, they were officers in accounting, they were officers in finance, they were officers in human resources, they were officers in sales. They were, they could run that kind of organization from that room. Wanted to also ask you, you know, because we're definitely having a great conversation regarding mm-hmm. just some of the things that people face in corporate America from the employee perspective, in additional to the actual CEO. I wanted to ask you as well, because again, there's a lot of conversations going on, especially going on LinkedIn. People are expressing, you know, pros and cons of being in the corporate environment, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, obviously, you've worked with CEOs who some of them may they want to change. They may want to get more in touch with their company, their employees to have a better work environment. On the mm-hmm. flip side, again, as I mentioned, a lot of people are vocal about how they work in toxic work environments, you know, things that aren't necessarily healthy. So mm-hmm. from the perspective of the manager, let's say a manager really wants to connect, how can a manager be an air quote good manager? How can a CEO be an air quote, good CEO that can truly mm-hmm. connect with their, with their work staff? Well, I think number one, being honest, being clear is 99% of it. I have two small books that, um, that I'm publishing and they're on my website. And one is um, followership, you know, um, and it's about followership. How does an employee become a good follower of a decent leader, you know, and it's called the universal great employee handbook. But the other one is for leaders, you know, to become good leaders so people will follow them. And that book is called, there's a great employee in there somewhere. In other words, the onus onus is on that leader to find it in the individual that they're managing and leading, you know, to help them become successful. You know, and and the two pieces of knowledge should come together, you know, to help someone who wants to be a manager or a leader and give them some tools to help them do that. 
and to give that and to give that executive the tools to help that person become, you know, more successful in their job. But it is very difficult, you know, and after um, the murder of George Floyd and COVID, you know, that double whammy, it really became clear that people were really fed up with corporate America. You know, we had people who, you know, imagine the people who were left at the company, who were left coming to work every day, was us. Executives were at home. You know, we were, you know, we were keeping the place clean. We were in the computer room, some of us, you know, some of us were on the loading docks. We were in these major companies, keeping them running, and everybody else was at home. And in order to get there, we had to go get on the bus. You know, and COVID was right was rampant. We had to um, get on the subway. We had to be where people were at risk in order to come to work every day. It changed things. And so executives ask me, you know, how do I have how am I successful with DEI? Well, first you have to understand what people have sacrificed in order to help make your organization a success. How you know how black people have sacrificed to help your organization remain a success. It's not that they volunteered. Yes, they're working, but at the same time, they did it. You know, so when and and some have actually tuned into that, mm-hmm. and that's what DEI helps people understand in corporate America. It helps executives know that um, individuals are not just there um, to be overlooked; they're there to help your organization succeed, and they need to be congratulated and and they need to be recognized they need to be seen and they need to be heard yes one thing i want to ask you as well so as we mentioned with covid black lives matter again corporate america people really it was just like a scene out of a movie where it turns from black and white to color people were just like really expressing things that they were dealing with, mental stress, emotional abuse sometimes, just things they were going through, you know, oh, yeah. at job. So I wanted to ask you, so a lot of people obviously the great, you know, work migration happened. People were leaving, exiting their jobs. Mm-hmm. So there is, I, I want to say, let's say there's a middle, right? Because I always tell people not everyone has to leave their work environment. Entrepreneurship is definitely not for everybody. That's another job. Okay, so it's, it's it sure not is. for everybody. But there are people who, there's a difference between, how does a person, let's put it this way, how can a person basically identify where they're at a company who just may simply, simply need some work, they just maybe need to have a conversation with their manager for improvement, mm-hmm. or... How can they know where they're really at a toxic work environment where they just should really truly move on? What would be some of the things maybe they could, maybe they had to write down a list. What are some of the things they can look at to differentiate, hey, is this a place that really is toxic that I need to leave? Or is this a place that I could possibly maybe have some changes if I spoke to someone or asked for a better salary or expressed mm-hmm. to someone, hey, this is what's happening that's causing me some stress at mm-hmm. work. Maybe we can make this a better environment. What are some things a person could look at in order to determine a difference? That's a great question, Shonda, because I'll tell you, um, I think that you have to look at the workplace itself. Is it a place that makes you uncomfortable just being there? Okay, 
um, what does the what does the place do? Is it in line with your values? you or your community or anything you believe in. Number two, who are you working for? And who are you working against? In other words, um, who is supporting you or not supporting you? And and when it when you feel more supported than you feel less supported and the organization feels like a fit for you, that's worth fighting for. When you're working with an organization you know, where you, you feel more unsupported than supported, and it's not a fit. That's when you need to start questioning where you are. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, there are values. Corporations, corporations have personalities too, you know, and some of them are the pits. <laughs> some of them have, yeah. I, could, I could name you, but I won't. Some very large, very famous corporations that have terrible personalities. Wow. You walk in the door and you can tell you know, you can tell by the way you're greeted or you're regarded or questioned. You can tell, you know, whether whether you would be valued there or not right off the bat. And people are swimming around in that environment every day. But it's not so easy to leave. You know, you're right. Sometimes you have to ask and you have to manage up. You know, and I mentioned those two little booklets of mine. Um, they give people tools. How do you manage up? How do you how do you speak to someone? How do you give them feedback in a way, you know, that will you can maintain your dignity and your job, but they still know what you need and how you feel. You know, there are ways to engage people, you know, to allow them to do that. But managing up is something huge. And I'm finding out in, in some organizations, people have not learned how to do it. You know, they say if you can't lick them, join them, then lick them. <laughs> so, I wanted to ask you another question, which is a topic that I think a lot of people who, as you and I know, that are familiar with corporate. So I want to ask you a really hot question. Okay. This is about human resources. Some people say human resources is not for the employee, it's for the employer. So I mm -hmm. want to ask you your opinion on that. Do Is human resources really there to truly work with an employee when there's some work issues, are they really there for that? Are they there to be an advocate for the employees? Or are they really there to protect the companies from being sued for things that they know are wrong? What truly is HR's role? And are they really living up to that? Because I know a lot of people say, hey, do not go to HR. Something happens, it's going to backfire. And I know that's a big hot topic. So what is your take on that? Well, I could give you a blanket answer pretty easily. <laughs> And I could say HR is for the organization. You know, it yeah. is It is to, it was better when they called it personnel. You understood it better because <laughs> you know, they're hiring people. But now HR has a lot of other functions, you know, benefits and, and, and for people to understand what the company has to offer. But I promise you that what happens in HR is you get organizational um, benefits for the organization, but... Every now you get an individual, you know, who can explain those things to someone in the organization who is having an issue or having a problem, and they can do it in a way that they are actually protecting the person. That usually is going to occur um, based on the personality of 
HR, if that makes any sense. There are some HR organizations that truly have people who care about, about employees. There are many and most who don't, but make no mistake about it. HR is for the organization. You know, it's, it's, you know, it says human resources, it might as well say finance. You know, money resources is finance. Human resources is, you know, is, is about assets to the organization. Well, thank you for clearing that up because, again, I know like a lot of people, I mean, I know from personal experience, you know, you're thinking HR is one thing and it's really another. And mm -hmm. it's an unfortunate thing because, again, I think when people are in particular work environments, especially a toxic one, you want someone that you can trust, that you can go to, that can possibly help, you know, in that environment and make things oh, yeah. better. But unfortunately, a lot of people are learning the truth about HR. So that's something that I thought would be really valuable to ask you for sure, your take on HR. So I mm -hmm. wanted to round out everything. This platform does talk about self-love and self-love really is the fuel, is the key for a healthier life. Self-love is something that can help a person determine, I deserve more at this organization. I put in my time, my years, and I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> I'm going to go and talk to who I need to talk to and work for everything that I put in my time in. Self-love also is the key that may say, hey, this ship is sinking and I am better than this and I actually can leave, whether that's to go be an entrepreneur, whether it's just to simply find another organization who will appreciate me or pay me what I'm worth. So I wanted to ask you, just with all your experience, everything that you've done, how do you define self-love in the career field? How do you define it? And also what role has it played just in what you're doing? You're helping a lot of people to hopefully make things better for them, and you, which you have proven. So how do you define self-love and what role does it play in everything that you're doing? Okay, I'm so happy you asked that, Sharonda. That's why I'm so excited to be here with you <laughs> because I know self-love is, is the root of, of your work. And, and it's something I, I help my clients with every day, especially black women that I deal with. And it has to do, I always tell them, if you tell somebody you love them, you don't have and and you don't have any self worth. It's like writing a check with no money in the bank. You know, you really have to make sure that your cup is full. You have to make sure that you are doing what's best for you. You know, I have clients every day that are in tears or that are, you know, in a quandary or or need. You know, first thing I say, get counseling if you need it. Corporate America will eat you alive, especially at that level. It will eat you up. So make sure you get help, counseling, church, whatever you need to do for yourself. You have to um, know who you are, whose you are. You have to, you know, find, find some kind of center and call it whatever you want to call it. You know, I am and, and say I am, you know, the guru of this or the guru of that. The best probably the best advice I ever got in my life. Someone says, tell people I'm good at this. You know, I'm really, I, I'm an excellent coach. I'm great at this. I'm good at this. And you have to say it till you believe it. Fake it till you make it. Because let me tell you something. When you go into the environment, I, I talk about, you know, the white man syndrome all the time. They're going to tell you, I'm good at this. I can do this. I can do this. And then we say, I don't know if I can do that or not. And yeah, you can.
you have to believe that you can do things without having done them. Because that's what a career is about. A career is about stepping into something. The next step is always going to be something you haven't done. It's like growing into a new pair of shoes when you're a kid. You won't have done it, but we say, oh, no, we haven't done it. That means we can't do it. No, we haven't done it. But you better believe I can do it. That's the difference. It's cultural. It's something that we learn as children. It's something that we have to feed our children all along. And it's something we have to feed ourselves. One other thing I wanted to ask, actually, mental health, obviously, is something also that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And how how can companies, I guess, address mental health on the job? Because, again, a lot of times people are going through a lot of emotional stress, mm -hmm. anxiety that is work related. People are workaholics. There, you know, the stress of even being underpaid. So many things at your work environment obviously factor into your mental health. So what can some of these companies do in order to cater to employees' mental health? And also the second part is for employees who they may be in a stressful environment. Let's say they aren't in a stressful environment. They still need to take care of their mental health regardless. If they Absolutely. have a job that they're doing great at, they can also mm -hmm. be overworking themselves and not realizing. They may obsess over work. Some people take no time off. So I guess the bigger question is how can mental health be catered to in the work environment? Well, number one, I think when I'm talking to organizations, I stress that people need to be seen, feel like they are seen and feel like they are heard. You know, because the probably the greatest um, place of depression in America is the corporation. Black people are depressed in, in these arenas where they're not valued, they, nobody acts like they hear them, they don't see them, um, they're not paid as well as others. You know, we have this, we have a problem, you know, with being valued. So that's why we have to get ourselves value. We have to figure out how to feed ourselves. And one of the way, um, one of the ways I mentioned therapy is a way to do it. Um, you know, there's a lot of self-help books. There's some self-help books out there. You know, um, for us, the women's expo is here, the black women's expo is here with the Adela Van Zandt. You know, hang out with other black women, you know, who are trying to do something, you know, and, and who have aspirations. Get energy because energy, I'm a big proponent of energy. You know, I think that um, a positive attitude means that energy is flowing in the positive direction of producing a result. A negative attitude means energy is flowing in the opposite direction of producing a positive result. You know, so you have to make sure your energy is going in the right direction. And you can do that with the help of other people who look like you, okay, who have the same experience. And, and see what's been successful for them in the workplace. You know, find women of color and ask them, what has worked for you? But we also have to make sure that we reach back and reach and reach around and, and take our arms and surround other women. You know, I was president of the League of Black Women here in Chicago um, for a number of years. And I always said that um, whether you're up and coming or off and running, you need to be a member of the League of Black Women because sometimes you're the teacher and sometimes you're the student. That is very powerful. I'm very big on energy as well. And positive energy can make or break a person. And That's positive right. energy is extremely important 
to our mental health, to our physical health as well, because it's all interconnected. So if you're stressed out mentally, you're going to be stressed out physically. People don't have this high blood pressure for no reason. That's right. So it all ties in together. So energy, being positive, having a positive outlook at your job, also being in a positive work environment. I know we've all probably had that experience for some of the older employees, and I mean older as far as tenure, someone that may have been Mm -hmm. at the job longer than you, they Mm -hmm. sometimes are negative. And it's like, oh my, like no one wants to really hear that, you know? So, and on the job, even your whole environment, it all makes sense on how you can have a positive work experience Mm -hmm. or a negative one. And energy is extremely important. So I want to lastly ask you, what has been some of your biggest accomplishments in your career doing coaching and working with these different companies, also having opportunities to be an inspiration for people of color who are on the job in corporate. As we know, you're very familiar with the things that we have to deal with. What have been some of your biggest accomplishments and the experiences that you've had with all the people that you've worked with? Well, you know, I'm very fortunate in that I've had every every client I've ever wanted, you know, um, and I, you know, in the beginning, I wrote them down, you know, Walt Disney, United Airlines, you know, um, Ford Chrysler, General Motors, blah, 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 on, on and so forth. And I've always had fabulous clients. But I think the thing that has given me the most pleasure and, and the most fulfillment is the fact that people ask me to do things based on how I treat people as opposed to what I'm successful at doing. Um, one of the first things that I was asked to do um, somebody, I, I tell I tell people I'm coaching all the time that it's going to be courtesy and and politeness that's going to get you where you want to be all the time. I don't care how successful you are, it's courtesy that's going to make people want to open that door for you. You know, and I, I think that one of the first things I was asked to do, um, somebody walked up to me and said, Ingrid, you're the person for this. You know, the president of Ghana is coming to Chicago and we're going to have a state dinner. And would you please, have, you know, take the first lady of Ghana and have a luncheon for her? I said, OK, I can do that. <laughs> so I did that. And then the next thing they asked me, to they said, Nelson Mandela is coming to Chicago and Detroit right after he gets out of prison. Would you, you know, would you um, would you help with that? And I ended up being in charge of protocol for that. And I was able to do that. And then someone asked me, um, just before he got out of prison, um, when I was president of the League of Black Women, there are 130 professional South African women who were teachers, doctors, and social workers and lawyers wanted to come to Chicago. This is before, this is during apartheid. I had to work with the embassy, the South African embassy, full of apartheid people. And we brought them to Chicago for two weeks. You know, um, those are the kinds of things offshoots. You know, I um, I was working with two CEOs, you know, one black and one white, and, and they're both males. And it's lonely at the top. And, none, and neither one of them got told the truth. You know, CEOs, they don't get to hear the truth. So I assigned them one another. I said, you need a friend, okay? Both of you need a friend. I assigned them and they became great friends. They traveled together, played golf all over. You know, it, it, those are the kinds of things people, I guess the bottom line is people trust me to do these things, you know, and, and I try to make sure that I can deliver, you know, and, and I don't deliver the thing I deliver myself and my integrity and the truth. 
I love it. That is amazing. It is very commendable what you're doing. And I definitely salute all the things that you've done. Corporate America can be an extremely lonely place for people of color. It can be a, a, a thankless place sometimes for us. So I definitely appreciate what you're doing. So tell everyone how they can connect with you, how they can learn more, of course, about your upcoming masterclass. Tell everyone how they can find you, your website, and how they can connect with you. And what's next? Well, what's next? Let's see. First, it's www.ingridwallacepresents.com. And you can get um, information on speeches, the masterclass. Uh, you can get, I mean, I help people become entrepreneurs all the time. Uh, in terms of you know giving advice, how do I how do I leave this place? How do I escape? As a you know, so uh, what's next for me is more master classes. I'm kind of winding down a little bit now, um, and I'm I'm just watching people be able to take my place. I love that. You know, I love seeing specifically black women come up and be so successful like yourself, and and be able to reach other black women. That is so valuable, Shonda you know, reaching out and, and embracing people who look like our, us is tremendous. And I will always do that. And on my website, as I said, I can be contacted anytime. And I, I love to hear from people, especially ones who look like me. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thank you again. This has been a great conversation, wonderful information. And I do thank you again. I hope everyone that's tuned in, again, this is Ingrid Wallace. She's doing some fabulous things. And just remember, if you are currently in corporate America, I know it can be extremely lonely. But again, just remember your value. Remember your worth. Self-love does tie into your work environment, believe it or not, because you may be at a job, a career that you fought for. So you don't necessarily need to run off. Maybe you do just need to have a conversation or be bold enough to say, hey, I want to negotiate my salary. Absolutely. Also, flip side, look at your self-love. You may be in an environment that you have outgrown. It may be one that does not value you. And that is okay because you're valuable, you're worthy, and you do have the tools to move on. So just always remember your work. Remember what you deserve. That's the key thing to remember because remembering what you deserve may be the key for you to decide, hey, this is the career that I fought for. This is the company that I deserve to be at. This could also be the place that is underserving me and I'm valuable in order to leave. Either way, make sure that you remember your self-worth and always go love yourself. Thank you guys for joining this conversation. Of course, you can learn more and you can watch some more interviews with some amazing women like Ingrid. Also, be safe. Make sure you connect and go love yourself. Take care. That little must have did this beat.